Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Minutes to Earth Archives, History of Middle Earth podcast, where we dive deep into the history of Middle Earth. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Susie Millhouse. So we have a super awesome announcement, and that's Fiction Horizon has just published an article about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, that listed us in their top 15 best Lord of the Rings related podcasts. I'll place the link in the episode description if you haven't seen it already, but it's also on our Facebook page and I believe in the Facebook group as well. Once you're done checking that article out, feel free to browse around their page and give them a like as well. They have a lot of cool content from all different fandoms. If you're like me and you like not just Lord of the Rings, but Star Wars and Marvel and everything else out there as well, I recommend that you follow their page for some really cool content. We're going to skip this week in Middle-Earth history just because I'm doing two episodes back-to-back. So I don't want to beat a dead horse. So next episode on the Palantiri, which I feel like is a good episode to follow up Helm's Deep with, we'll cover this week in Middle-Earth history. So now on to the main topic, which is Helm's Deep and the Glittering Caves which I'm super excited for because Helm's Deep is one of my all-time favorite locations in Middle-earth. So the Hornburg, originally Soothburg, was a great Gondorian fortress later used by the Rohirrim. Helm's Deep was a large valley gorge in the northwestern Eridimres, or White Mountains, below the Trihern. It was, and it was actually the name of the whole defensive system, including its major defensive structure, the Hornburg. The valley was blocked over its entire width by a trench and rampart called Helm's Dyke, and behind that lay the great fortress of the Hornburg. A large rampart known as the Deeping Wall blocked the valley, and it consisted of solid rock except for a small culvert, which allowed the Deeping Stream, a small stream, to pass through. The stream flowed out of the Glittering Caves, which was a large cave system, and later the site of Gimli's dwarf colony. Helm's Deep was the largest fortress in the realm of Rohan. This is also where the Guards of Aizen lived, and was one of the two Gondorian strongholds built to guard the Fords of Aizen, because this was the only area that could be crossed to get into Rohan. In 2758 of the Third Age, Rohan had completely had been completely overrun by a mix of Easterlings and Dunlingdings under the command of Wolf. Helm Hammerhand led his people to the mighty fortress, where they stayed for the long winter and the long siege that followed from TA 2758 to 2759. Originally named the Fortress of Aglarond, Helm Hammerhand made such a name for himself throughout the battle with his leadership ability that the fortress was named in his honor as Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep Valley originally was home to a small Gondorian regiment, but after Colonardon was seceded to the Aothade, it became an encampment of the Rohirrim of the Westfold, and was used to guard the Gap of Rohan. Legends say that they enlisted the help from the giants as well due to the massive boulders that made up the wall of Helm's Deep that no men could have placed the way they did. 
Up until the Battle of Rohan over Helm's Deep, its impenetrable walls had never had an enemy step foot inside them before, and this fortress had seen many battles and was able to last through all of them. Helm's Deep had a Hornburg which was 300 feet high and known as the Horn of Helm Hammerhand, encasing a spiral staircase surrounded by two large rampart walls. The outer walls of Helm's Deep stood a towering 100 feet above the ground. During the main battle for Rohan, the Urukai required siege ballistas, specialized ladders, and a pulley system in order to get the large heavy ladders up that high. The main gate splitting two large guard towers was the only way into Helm's Deep. There was a large ramp that wound up and to the left after you came in the main gate that took you up to the inner court. The wall had large archways carved into it that led through to the main hall or throne room, quarters, stables, and the armory. There was a large 30-foot high deeping wall that stretched 300 feet out from the rampart, from the outer rampart wall, and this wall was thick enough for four armored men to stand side by side. The wall had a slight curve to it, so archers could engage a target anywhere along the wall, so even if someone was standing right up against the wall, they were not safe from arrows. And aside from the main gate and the culvert halfway out in the deeping wall, the entire fortress was made from solid stone, carved right from the mountain itself. This gave the walls extra durability over others, making it almost impenetrable. Helm's Deep was always guarded, even when not in use. Had the enemy taken over, it is incredibly likely that it would have just stayed in their hands until they were called out by Sauron to march on Gondor. The guards rotated their time at Helm's Deep and Edoras, and it is said that the newest and the oldest vets would be sent to Helm's Deep in order to maintain the memories and appreciation for the ancient fortress. Saruman wanted the One Ring for himself. Once he had it, he would use it against Sauron to try to have Middle-earth bend to his will, becoming impatient and eventually realizing that the Urukai sent out to ambush the Fellowship and Amon Hen were not coming back anytime soon with the One Ring, and then Wormtongue returning to Isengard with the info that Rohan was moving to Helm's Deep, he decided a more direct action was necessary and sent his army of 10,000 Urukai and Dunlingdings to march on Helm's Deep. Saruman also figured with destroying Rohan and Isildur's heir, he would have that much more bargaining power over Sauron. It was 20 leagues, or 60 miles, or 96.5 kilometers, from Isengard to Helm's Deep, something the Urukai could have completed in roughly a day. The siege ladders were carried by the sappers in the middle, while the large siege ballistas took a little longer to arrive. King Théoden chose to go to Helm's Deep over the hold of Dunharrow, which was slightly closer in Arid Nimrez, because he thought it would be easier to defend with his limited number of warriors after Aomer had been banished with his Rohirrim. The army of Rohan consisted of 1,000 cavalry forces from Edoras led by King Théoden. This force included Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and Théoden's nephew, Aomer. This army was joined with Rohan's garrison of around 1,000 at the Hornburg itself, so Helm's Deep was defended by very few in number compared to the coming attack. Theoden, out of desperation, had every man able to fight be brought up and given weapons, some as young as seven, even if it was just to throw rocks down uh, on the enemy at the main gate, and others as old as 70 or maybe more. Their weapons were worn and rusted, bowstrings were frayed, and swords were blunt, and only when the Urks 
arrived, did the defenders really know what they were up against? Taking place over the night of the 3rd to the 4th of March in TA 3019, it saw the attacking Urukai of Saruman, defeated by the Rohirrim, led by Theoden and Erkenbran. The Urukai and Dunlingdings filled the valley from side to side with their numbers. And in the movie, they added a humorous little segment where during their intimidation chant, a man by the name of Aldor accidentally let an arrow slip, killing the first Urukai and only enraging the others even more. This battle was also the first time that nearly all the men of Rohan had fought against someone who had had ranged weapons. The volleys of arrows they sent out were only returned by thick crossbow bolts coming back at them. With the help of the pikemen pushing the ladders up, the sappers set up many ladders to scale the walls, all topped with a berserker, which was just another type of urukai, to clear out the wall and buy the other soldiers time to get up. The forces of Saruman arrived at the valley of Helm's Deep in the middle of the night and quickly scaled over the first defense, which was Helm's Dyke, and attempted to break down the fortress's gate with a battering ram. But Aragorn, Aomer, and some of the other Ahiram attacked through a postern gate on the side of the Hornburg, scattering the forces threatening the doors. The orcs and Dunlingdings then raised their hundreds of ladders to scale the wall. Aragorn and Aomer had repeatedly moved the defenders who were getting weary to repel the orcs coming up the ladders and crossing the wall. However, some orcs had crept through the culvert, which led, out, which led a stream out of Helm's Deep, and while the defenders were busy with the assault on the wall, they suddenly attacked, having made it past the wall. The defenders quickly reacted and drove back the orcs, and the culvert was blocked up under the supervision of Gimli. When the Urukai used the phalanx strategy to make their way up the causeway to the main gate, Aragorn and Aramur did what they could to save the main gate from being taken, but they were then called elsewhere to help. Between the deepening wall being blown out, the countless ladders, and then the main gate being taken, Theoden was forced to pull back to the inner keep and caves. While all seemed lost, Theoden made a surprise counterattack of his own to charge out and finish off who they could, and as this happened, Gandalf, Erkenbrand, and 1000 Rohirrim reinforcements arrived. Send word for the women and children to make for the mountain pass, and barricade the entrance! So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. For death and glory. For Rohan. For your people. The sun is rising. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. Yes. Yes. The horn of Helm Hammerhand shall sound in the deep. One last time. Yes! Let this be the hour when we draw swords together. Fell deeds awake. Now for wrath. Now for ruin. And the red dawn!
Azarohirim cut through the enemy lines by the hundreds, the Urukai withdrew back from Helm's Deep in order to regroup and eventually mount a second attack right after. However, the horns of Pangorn have moved south during the night to block the valley entrance. As the Uruks fled into the newly arrived forest, they were finished off by the trees. After the battle, the Dunlingdings who surrendered were given amnesty by King Theoden and allowed to return home. The Rohirrim required that all hostilities cease and that the Dunlingdings retreat behind the Aizen River again. The slain Dunlingdings were buried in a mound of their own apart from the orc carcasses. The next night, those carcasses disappeared, and the Death Down was left by the departing horns. After the War of the Ring, the partially destroyed Deeping Wall was rebuilt by Rohan with the help of the dwarves. The Glittering Caves, also, known, also called Aglarond, were spectacular jeweled caverns that lay in the White Mountains behind Helm's Deep. The Glittering Caves extended deep under the mountain, with many passages, stairs, halls, and chambers. The floors were sandy, and the ceilings were high, domed vaults. The walls were polished stone set with gems and crystals and veins of ore. Their entrance to the caves was behind the deeping wall in a narrow gorge that could be defended long against an onslaught, making them an ideal, refu an ideal refuge location. Gimli called the Glittering Caves one of the marvels of the northern world. Reportedly, Legolas was left speechless, speechless after visiting them, which was one of the few times that a dwarf had bested an elf with words. Aglarond was explored during the Second Age by Numenorians, although it is unclear exactly when and by whom. Later, after the founding of Rohan, it was used as a storage space and refuge for Rohirrim, who used the Hornburg. During the Battle of the Hornburg on the 3rd to the 4th of March, many of the women, children, and elderly people of the Westfold took refuge in the Glittering Caves, and livestock and food were stored there as well. Some orcs crept through a culvert in the Deeping Wall and entered the gorge, but were killed or driven back by the defenders. Then the Deeping Wall was breached by an explosive device, and the enemy forces entered the deep. Many of the Rohirrim, including Aomer, were driven back to the Glittering Caves, and with them was Gimli. After the war, Gimli brought Legolas to see the caves, and the elf was so impressed that he was silent and said that only Gimli could fittingly describe them. When Gimli was held up in the caves, he was amazed by their beauty. After the War of the Ring, he brought many of Durin's folk from Erebor and founded a colony in the caves, becoming the first lord of the Glittering Caves. The dwarves of the Glittering Caves carefully tended to, those, to the stone walls and opened new ways and chambers and hug lamps that filled the caverns with light. The Glittering Caves became one of the most important realms of the dwarves at the beginning of the Fourth Age. Aglarond is Sindarin and contains the elements Aglar and Rond, therefore meaning Caves of Glory. However, since the word Aglar is related to light, the Westrond, Glittering Caves, it can be the exact translation. The Rohirrim called them Glamesgrafu, or Caverns of Helm's Deep. And there you have it, the history of Helm's Deep and the Glittering Caves. And I don't know about you, but seeing a Helm's Deep that was rebuilt and repaired by the dwarves, and then also the Glittering Caves being made into like a full city would be two things that would be on like the top of my list of things to see.
We have one question this week from Gage Lawson. He says, hey, really enjoying the podcast, just discovered it and really enjoy listening while I'm at work. I have a question regarding Sauron and his quest to retrieve the One Ring. So at the time of Frodo's journey, the men are also are already corrupted. The dwarves no longer have the rings, and the elves are aware of Sauron's evil scheme. My question is, since Sauron would have no control over the races of men, dwarves, and elves, why does he want the ring back? And does he have a human form at this point? Thanks, Gage. Well, the best way to put this is I kind of compare the ring and Sauron to the Horcruxes and Voldemort and Harry Potter. Kind of like they say he created the ring and he put like his power and malice and cruelty and all that stuff. They How they say it in the cool little intro of Fellowship of the Ring. And basically he needs his ring, he being Sauron, uh, needs his ring to kind of be at full strength again. Because right now, at the time of the War of the Ring, he did not have a physical form anymore. But he was working on it. And he was trying to get to that point again. But he just didn't have the power that he needed to make that happen. And part of that was because he also didn't have his ring. And that's what he was trying to get. As for the corrupting part, where he would still have his nine ring rates, had it say he gotten the ring back. And he could have controlled them still. At that point, he had full control of them. So even without his ring, that's why he was still able to control them. Because it was they're far too gone and too late to save at that point and yes he wouldn't have been able to corrupt any one else per se minus whoever the one ring was trying to corrupt at the time but at that point his plan to corrupt everybody had kind of gone out the window so his new plan was basically just to kill everybody who wasn't already corrupted and that's why he was trying to have that final battle for the age of men and just take out Gondor, who was the main thing standing between him and everybody else. Because if he could defeat Gondor, then he could defeat anybody else that was in Middle-earth. So at that point, it was just, I've corrupted who I can, and I'm trying to get my ring back. In the meantime, I'm just going to kill everybody else off who stands in my way, or slowing down the process of me getting my ring. So hopefully that answers your question. Feel free to let me know if you have any um, follow-up questions. Last bit of notes for everybody. If you do want more content, check us out, MinasTirithArchives.com. Check out our Facebook page, Minas, or History of Middle Earth Podcast. And we have a Facebook group, History of Middle Earth Podcast group. We are on Instagram, at History of Middle Earth Pod. And we have a Discord page where patrons can listen in on a live recording and chat with me before, during, and after. Make fun of all the mistakes I make pre-editing. And you can just talk with anybody else who's in the chat as well. Speaking of patrons, there is a new patron, patron, good lord, patron tier available, available now. So we have Citizen of Gondor, Knight of Gondor, Ranger of Gondor, or Fountain Guard, and King slash Queen of Gondor. And with that one, you get obviously everything from the other tiers. And one of the new things would be using your king slash queen powers to direct where the podcast kind of goes. So if you are sitting here and sitting there going, man, I just really want to hear about this particular topic. Basically, all you do is say the word and the next episode that drops is on that topic. So that's really even more power than me because I 
love Numenor and anything Numenor related more than anything. And I want to do a Numenor episode, but I'm trying to be patient and save it for the Silmarillion days because it'll just make sense there. But if that's if you're in the King of Queen Gondor tier and that's something you want to hear about, or you just have this one character that you know is your favorite person ever, or whatever it is, you can use your royalty powers and guide the podcast in that direction. So that is it for this week's episode. If you like it, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know how we did. If you have any questions, you can send them into our Facebook page, our Instagram. Send us an email, ministeryeartharchives at gmail.com or on our website, ministeryeartharchives.com. You can use the Contact Us tab. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Till then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth podcast. The battle for Helm's Deep is over. The battle for Middle-earth is about to begin.